Well, hey, if you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on, go to John chapter 21. John 21 is where we're going to be today. So in 2008, my wife and I moved from the Pacific Northwest where we grew up. We moved to Arizona for a job there. And one of the things that we found that first year was it was really difficult to get in the Christmas spirit because it was like 80 degrees in December. And some of you are like, that sounds pretty good right now. But it's really hard when you see people decorating their palm trees and their cactus with Christmas lights. Like it just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like Christmas because Christmas is supposed to be cold and snowy. It has these feels about it, these, these memories of hot chocolate and, you know, mittens and scarves and things like that. And the first Christmas that we were there, early in December, I went to put up, up my Christmas lights And I remember I wore shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. And it was just totally bizarre. It was just completely out of character for what Christmas is supposed to be. It was really hard to get into the Christmas spirit. I'm having the same problem this year. It's really hard to get into the mode of Christmas in 2020 because all of our Christmas routines are different this year. Some of the stuff that we, we think of about Christmas has been taken away, right? So no Christmas, like work parties, no school programs. We didn't have a Christmas tree lighting here. Like all this stuff that we associate with Christmas, we haven't been able to do. And so Christmas, it's really difficult this year. It's hard to get into that mode, into the Christmas spirit. What I keep thinking is, Something I remember from 2008 that was true, that I'm hoping is true in 2020 for me and for you, and that is that just because something is different, just because it's new, doesn't mean it has to be a bad thing. This could be a year of of new traditions. It's possible. In fact, it's likely that your Christmas is going to be a little simpler this year, a little quieter this year, but maybe, maybe that makes space so that you can spend some time with people. Maybe it forces you to spend some time with people that you're not really sure you wanted to spend time with, but good forced family fun. Maybe it gives us room to slow down and to think about and focus on Jesus this year. This this thought that I've been having is like, okay, my Christmas, your Christmas is probably going to be different, likely going to be different. But The Christmas story, the original Christmas story is no different. It is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago that God left heaven, became a man, and came to earth. It's this incredible, amazing story, and it's as true today and as amazing today as it was when it first happened. And I think it's worth slowing down and thinking about and talking about. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the life of Jesus when he was on earth. When the Son of God left heaven and came to earth and lived a life on earth, we've been looking at that journey, at that life. And one of the things that we've noticed, that we've found, this pattern we keep coming upon, is that Jesus, when he was on earth, was incredibly generous. Whatever Jesus had at his disposal, he would use that to serve people, to bless people, to be generous to people. So Jesus gave of his time and Jesus gave of his reputation and he, he, he was generous with his power. And the thing is, you know this, when we're generous, it costs us, right? So when you give something, that's going to cost you. And Jesus's generosity cost him. The people that he hung out with, the people that he stopped to heal and to help, they were They were misfits. And so Jesus, for hanging out with them, was labeled an outcast. Jesus, this all this generosity would cost him, would eventually cost him his life. We're gonna look at 
another sort of facet of his generosity today, and that is that Jesus is generous with forgiveness. And forgiveness might be the most costly generosity. If you've ever been really hurt, really wounded by somebody, you know what it costs to forgive them. You know how expensive forgiveness is. And so for Jesus, he has this friend named Peter. At least he's supposed to be his friend. But Peter really hurts Jesus. He betrays Jesus. And Jesus has an opportunity. He sort of has a choice to make. How is he going to respond? Is he going to get even? Is he going to get revenge? Is he going to lash out at Peter? Well, no, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is generous with love and he's, he's generous with forgiveness. And my hope for today is that you and I will see, not just see, but experience the generosity of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, because the same grace and mercy that Jesus is going to extend to Peter is the same forgiveness that Jesus offers to you and to me. So before we get into John, I want to read something for you that Peter wrote later in his life. This is in the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says something really interesting. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. I mean, it's just interesting. Basically, he says, if someone hurts you, if someone offends you, if someone wrongs you, Peter's like, don't get even, don't strike back, don't get revenge. He goes, instead, if someone wrongs you, he says, do something nice for them, bless them. I read that, I go, what on earth? would make a person say that. That's not our natural instinct. If you take from me, I'm going to take from you. If you hurt me, I'm going to want to hurt you. What is it that would make Peter, later on in his life, what is it that would make Peter say these words? That if someone hurts you, if someone wrongs you or offends you, bless them. Do something good for them. Be kind to them. Forgive them. Love them. Here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see it throughout this story. Is that forgiven people forgive people. Okay? Forgiven people Forgive people. And Peter is about to experience this incredible amount of forgiveness from Jesus. And if you've ever done something wrong and hurt someone and they say to you, I forgive you, it's like this weight off your shoulders. It's like this burden goes away. It feels so good to be forgiven that you want other people to feel it too. And that's the story of, of Peter's, that forgiven people Forgive people. Remember that. Here's the story. John chapter 21. One of the times previous to this, one of the last times that we saw Peter, wasn't his finest moment. Peter, uh, Jesus had been arrested, and Peter had said all along, Jesus, I'll fight anybody that opposes you. Like, I'm your guy, right? Like, I'll go to bat for you. I will defend you against anybody. But it sort of turns out when the time came, not so much, because Peter is going to deny Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. He's going to say publicly, I don't know that guy. I've, I've never met that guy. And then Jesus, shortly after that, dies. And so Peter is, is carrying this shame. He's carrying this sin. He has denied Jesus, and now Jesus is dead, and he can't make it right. So he just has to carry this burden. Now Jesus, though, is back from the dead. Jesus has risen. And as much as Peter wanted to make it right, now he's got to be thinking, oh, no, he knows what I did. And he's coming for me. He's going to get me. The Bible says that they meet once, Peter and Jesus. We don't know what that interaction was. That conversation's not recorded, but they, they meet once. John is going to write about the second time they meet. This time it's, 
it's public. He's going to tell this story. And I think it's so cool because John, the way John writes his gospel, if you read up to the end of chapter 20, at the end of chapter 20, John tells us why he wrote his gospel. And it feels like that's the end. Go read it for yourself. It's interesting. It feels like, okay, that's the end. And then it's almost as if John tacks on chapter 21. It's almost as if John said, oh, wait, wait, wait. While I have your attention, one more thing I want to tell you about. This is unbelievable. John has spent 20 chapters telling us about the miracles of Jesus. And then he goes, but there's one more. And this one is unreal. You're not going to even believe this. I have to tell you this story about forgiveness. Here it is. It's kind of a long story. Here it is. Let's get into it. John 21, starting in verse 1. It said afterwards, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. This is the third time by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven of them. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So Jesus has died and he's come back to life and he told the disciples to go to Galilee and wait for him. So that's what they're doing. They're in Galilee and they're waiting for him, but they're sort of just twiddling their thumbs. They don't really have anything to do. They're waiting for Jesus to come. And so out of boredom or just anticipation or whatever, Peter goes, I'm, I'm going fishing. We might as well go make some money. Let's go fishing. And so the guys go, yeah, we'll, we'll come along with you. But they don't catch anything. And John is, is doing something here really interesting. He's writing this to jog our memory. And John is going to, in the next number of verses, he's going to drop in a bunch of flashbacks to jog our memory. Because the first time some of the disciples met Jesus, a similar thing happens. They're out fishing and they don't catch anything. And then this guy named Jesus says, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do. And when they do that, they bring up a whole load, a whole net full of fish. John wants us to think back to that first meeting because the exact same thing is about to happen. This story where they go out fishing and they don't catch anything, but Jesus tells them where to put their nets and they catch a whole bunch. That exact same thing is about to happen. Watch this, verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. It's the exact same thing that happened when they first met Jesus. If you got your Bible, write in your notes right there, right in the margin, Luke 5, and go back and read it. It's the exact same story. It's the exact same outcome. And, and John is going to drop in all these little flashbacks. Keep going, verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. I love the idea of Peter being so excited. He jumps in the water and he just starts swimming, but they're only like barely off the shore, so the boat probably beats him there. But he's so excited to see Jesus. It says, when they landed, so when they got to shore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. This is another flashback. Last time we saw Peter, I told you, he was denying Jesus. Where was he? John tells us in 
Chapter 18, exactly where Peter was. He was warming his hands by a fire. Just like now on the beach, Jesus has made a fire. John is dropping in these little flashbacks to remind us of the journey that they've been on with Jesus. When they first met Jesus, they were fishing. They didn't catch anything. Jesus tells them where to cast their nets. They get a whole bunch of fish. Now, they go out fishing. They don't catch anything. Jesus tells them where to put the nets. They get a whole bunch of fish. It's a flashback. You saw Peter. Peter warming his hands by the fire. John brings up Another scene with a fire. He's bringing up, he's surfacing this, this occurrence of Peter by the fire. And it's sort of this awkward, shameful thing for Peter, of course, because this is where he denied Jesus. But he's, he's trying to, John is trying to point us to Peter's journey that he's been on with Jesus. And so he just, he surfaces this. Keep going, verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I can't really explain this part. Earlier, they didn't know it was Jesus when he was standing on the shore, but I kind of wonder if it was still early morning hours. Was it still dark and they were off the shore? They couldn't really see that it was Jesus maybe, but now they're sitting around a fire with him. They're eating with him. How do they not know that it's Jesus? I mean, I'm not sure, but I think there's a couple things going on here. One, they watched Jesus die. Like they watched Jesus on a cross. They know he got, they saw him get buried in a tomb, rock in front of it, right? So it's, it's a little confusing. Imagine if you knew someone who, if you had a friend who died and you went to his funeral, you, you knew he was dead and then he shows up at Applebee's and sits down at your table while you're having lunch, you're gonna be like, what? You're, you're not supposed to be here. Like what's happening right now? It's going to be confusing. I think they're just, at least in part, I think they're really confused. Like how are we seeing him? How is this happening? The other thing is that this is the risen Jesus. So he's him but he's glorified. There's something about him. He, he shines the glory, the, the radiance of God. Maybe he looks a little different. I'm not really sure, but John says they know it's him. It might not look exactly like him, but they know it's him. Keep going, verse 13 says, Jesus came, he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. Oh, this is another flashback. This is the exact same language that's used when Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000. Remember, he takes some bread and he prays to heaven and he breaks it and he gives, it says that he passes around bread and he did the same with the fish. It's the exact same language. John is reminding us this journey that they've been on with Jesus, that Jesus is somebody that they trust and they know and they have this relationship with him. Verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Oh, actually, stop here for a minute. When they finished eating, so stop here. They're, I want you to get the scene. They're on the beach at the Sea of Galilee, a place they've been together as a group tons of times. The Sea of Galilee, it's, not, it's really more of a lake, but it has this beautiful beach. It's kind of sandy, a little bit rocky. And so they're there on the beach. And I don't know, they're probably sitting on stones or maybe they're just sitting on the ground. Maybe they put out some mats to sit on. They're, they're around a fire and they're eating. And I imagine, I picture it that John and James and Thomas and Nathaniel and these guys, like 
they're so excited just to be with Jesus and just to be eating with him. They're just enamored. They can't stop staring at him because their friend died. Like everything they had worked for, all hope was lost. It had ended. The mission, the, the journey was over. His friend, their friend had died, but here he is right in front of them. But I also imagine Peter. And I see Peter sitting over here and Peter hasn't picked his head up during the meal because the sin and shame is too much. So he just quietly warms his hands by the fire and eats a little bit of food. He's really not that hungry because he's nervous. He's anxious. He knows one of these guys is going to bring up what he did. He knows somebody's going to say, hey, Jesus, you know what Peter did? He's just waiting for somebody to bring up his shame and his sin. Hey, Peter, don't you think you should tell Jesus you're sorry? We all know what you did. And I imagine he just sits there quietly with this burden on his shoulders, warming his hands by the fire, not wanting to make eye contact. But watch Jesus, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Write in your notes, if you've got your Bible there, write in your notes, Matthew 26, 33. Peter had said, uh, he had said, even if everybody else abandons you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you till the end. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you, do you love me as much as you claim you love me more than these other guys love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, remember, Peter screwed up three times. So Jesus, he's bringing him back in. He's bringing him back in. He's giving him three chances. He's bringing him back in. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's going on here? Jesus is publicly forgiving Peter. I mean, maybe when they talked, just the two of them in private, again, we don't know that conversation. The Bible just tells us that it happens. Maybe when they talked before, Jesus forgave him. Probably he forgave him. They probably cried together. Jesus probably, or Peter probably asked Jesus for his forgiveness. And of course, Jesus gave it. But now it's public. Now it's in front of his friends. And it's not just forgiveness that Jesus offers. Jesus doesn't just go, hey, Peter, we're good. Like, let's just, just move that over here, sweep that under the rug. We don't need to talk about that anymore. It's not just, oh, you know, I forgive you. It's not really that big of a deal. No, no, no. It's basically what Peter says that we read at the beginning. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay it with blessing. That's what Jesus is doing. Okay, Peter, you're forgiven. But it's more than that. He's actually going to restore him and he's going to do it right here in front of everybody. See, before Jesus died, he had said, Peter, I'm gonna build my church and you're gonna get to be a part of it. I've got this big plan for you, Peter. I'm gonna use you. It's men like you, men and women like you, Peter, that are going to build the church. But after Peter denied him, Peter had to wonder, did I, did I blow it? It's my opportunity Gone. Is Jesus going to put me on the sidelines now? I mean, we feel that, right? When we sin, don't we say that? Well, now God can't use me. Well, I mean, he still loves me, but he's not going to use me anymore. We carry the shame of that, right? 
But Jesus goes, no, 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 Peter, Peter, you messed up. But I'm not done with you. Feed my sheep. He's going to take care of my children, my people. Jesus cares about people more than he cares about anything else. He goes, Peter, my most important thing, my people, my children, I'm giving them to you. I want you to take care of them. I trust you, Peter. He's restoring Peter. He's saying, I'm not done with you. Finish the story with me, verse 18. Jesus speaking says, very, very truly, I tell you, he's talking to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, history tells us that Peter is crucified on a cross. His arms are stretched out and nailed to a cross. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. I mean, this is incredible. Think about this first from Jesus' standpoint. This guy, Peter, denied you in, in the darkest Hardest moment of your life when your friend should be there for you. He turned his back. He said he didn't even know you. How things might have been different if Peter would have spoken up. He's this respected Jewish guy. Maybe he could have saved Jesus' life. I don't know. But this Peter, the same guy who was popping off about, oh, Jesus, don't worry. I'll fight anybody for you. I'll never leave you. I'm going everywhere with you. This is the guy. And if you're Jesus, this is your chance. Oh, yeah, Peter. You're mine now. This is your chance to get even. This is your chance to take revenge. Here it comes, Peter. You're going to get it. And honestly, you deserve it. In the Old Testament, in Lamentations 3, it says, For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Jesus doesn't get even. That's not who he is. Jesus doesn't embarrass or shame Peter. That's not who Jesus is. He is generous with forgiveness. And no one and no amount of sin is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus. Let me say that again. No one and no amount of sin is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus. And Peter gets to experience that forgiveness of Jesus. He has felt the depth of his failure. He has felt the depth of sin and shame. Oh, he denied Jesus. But Jesus brings him back in. Jesus brings him out of that darkness and he restores him. Jesus says, there is no darkness where my light cannot shine. Jesus says, there is no pit of sin and shame so deep that I cannot bring you out of it, Peter. I can restore you. I can give you hope. And the same hope that Jesus and the same forgiveness that Jesus gives to Peter, he's given to me and he's given to so many of you that he says there is no dark corner of your heart. There is no dark place in your life that needs to remain a secret. There is no part of your life where my grace does not extend. There is nothing that you could do and there is no one that is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And the same forgiveness that he gives to Peter, he gives to us. If you've never experienced that kind of forgiveness for your sins, Jesus offers it to you today, right now, no matter what's in your past, no matter what you carry around, no matter what sin is in your future, no matter what lie you're living right now. It is not beyond the forgiveness of Jesus. His forgiveness never runs out. 
You know, the Bible says that the Christmas story is really about forgiveness. The whole point of Christmas is really about forgiveness because you might think, what does this have to do with Christmas? This is the week of Christmas. Listen, the whole Christmas story is about forgiveness. Check this out. Christmas story starts in Matthew 1, and here's what it says in verse 21. Mary will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The whole point of Christmas, the whole reason that God left heaven, became a man, is to save us from our sins. Question for you. Something to chew on this Christmas. We're going into, into the week of Christmas. Question for you. Have you stopped to consider the depth of Jesus' forgiveness? Have you ever just paused to consider the depth of God's love and forgiveness, of how unending it is, of how deep that pit could be that he's willing to shine his light and pull you out. Listen to this. The Bible describes the depth of his forgiveness a few different ways. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, it says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is no limit to his forgiveness. There is no depth of darkness in which his light doesn't shine. If we could slow down and think about this, if everything that's jacked up about 2020, if everything we hate about Christmas 2020 and what it's not and how everything that we love about Christmas has been taken away from us, if all of that could be used to point us towards Jesus, to get us to stop and to consider the depth of his love and his forgiveness. Oh, that we might say thank you to him this Christmas if we would stop and consider the richness and the depth of his forgiveness, the generosity of his love, oh, that we might stop and just say thank you. If I would stop complaining about everything that's frustrating me right now, if I would stop getting mad because I have to wear a mask to walk into a store, and I would this Christmas focus on Jesus and his unfailing love and the riches and the depth of his forgiveness, oh, that it might change me. That I might say thank you this Christmas. Have you ever stopped? Have you ever just put your eyes on Jesus and considered the depth? of his love and the depth of his forgiveness. It is unending. It is never failing. There is not one of us, not me, not you, or you, or you, or you online, that is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He goes one step further. Incredible. First, he hands over everything he loves to Peter. Peter, take care of my sheep my people, my children that I love, you take care of them. Then he says, Peter, I trust you so much. I'm gonna let you die for the cause and being a martyr sounds like a bad thing, but in the kingdom of God, it's a great thing. He says, Peter, I trust you. You're gonna die for this cause. Peter's gonna be crucified, honored to be crucified like Jesus was. 
And Jesus says, Peter, everything about your life, everything about your journey, from the day I met you on the beach when you had no fish to the day you denied me and beyond, everything can be used for God's glory. Here's what Jesus does. It's incredible. Jesus takes our shame and he turns it into part of our story. And then he uses that for God's glory. So there are parts of our story that we're embarrassed by. There's sin in our life that we are all embarrassed by. Jesus goes, you don't have to be embarrassed by that. Not that we're going to be proud of our sin, but he goes, I died for that sin. You don't have to be ashamed of that. You don't have to hide your eyes and, and look down and be ashamed of that. No, I can use that to bring glory to God. Only God could do this. Only God could take our weakness and our shame and the worst parts of us and use them for his glory. Only God could take a guy like Peter who in front of the world, on the world stage, denied his son, Jesus Christ. Only God could take Peter and use him for his glory. Only God could take a self-righteous murderer like the apostle Paul and say, Paul, I'm gonna use you to plant churches all over the world. I think this all the time. Only God could take a arrogant 20-something kid and tell me, Brad, you're gonna teach people about Jesus. Only God could take your sin and shame and turn it and say, I'm gonna use that for God's glory. See, all the stuff that you're afraid of people finding out, all the stuff that's behind the curtain, all the stuff you'd never put on a resume, God goes, give me that. Give me that. That's, I can use that. I can take that and turn it for my glory. Only God could do that. Could I challenge you this week? I know it's busy. I know we're going into the chaos of Christmas. Could I challenge you? Get a few minutes alone with God. Just you and God. Find a few quiet moments. Consider the depths of his forgiveness for you. Just say thank you. Oh, that we would just put our eyes on Jesus and his forgiveness and just say thank you. Go back to where we started and we'll finish there. I'm just gonna push this over to you and let you wrestle with it. This is what it is to walk with Jesus. It's to take the things that Jesus taught, that we hear from Jesus, and to walk with him and to put it in our lives. So let me just push this over to you. I said earlier, forgiven people, forgive people, right? Forgiven people, forgive people. Are you doing that? If you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life for your sin, past, present, and future, I'm talking to you right now. Are you forgiving people? Are you keeping short accounts? Or are you demanding restitution? Are you being generous with forgiveness? Or are you holding a grudge? See, some of you, you're walking into Christmas this week, and Christmas for you means a bunch of family drama because you refuse to forgive someone for something they did 20 years ago. And let's not sugarcoat this. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is expensive. Maybe it's the most expensive kind of generosity. Let's not pretend like this isn't a, a difficult conversation around forgiveness, because when we talk about forgiveness, it reminds us of the things we need to be forgiven for, and it reminds us of the ways we've been hurt. It's not easy. Can I say that we want to journey with you through that? We're here to help you. You know that we have a, a, a prayer team. You walk out when we're done with the service that you walk right over to our prayer works area. Our prayer team wants to talk with you and encourage you and pray with you. If you're online, you chat with us. You send us an email. We want to be a part of that journey. We want to help you because it's not easy. 
but the humility that it took for Jesus to look at Peter in front of these people. He could have shamed him. He could have knocked him out. But no, it's not who Jesus is. He's generous with love, and he's, he's generous with, forgi- with forgiveness. And with God's help, he's calling me and you to be generous with forgiveness. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but repay evil. Church family, hear me. Repay evil with blessing. Would you pray with me? Father and our God, you are good. Oh, you're good. It's hard to even begin to understand. We don't understand the depth of your forgiveness. Our sins are many, our shame piles high, and you say there's no one among us and nothing that we could do that is beyond the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you. God, for many of us this this Christmas, it's so different. If we're just honest, we hate Christmas 2020. We want to see our families. We want to be able to go to Christmas parties. We wanted to see our kids sing Christmas songs at school. We hate this. But God, would you use it for your glory? Would you cause us to look at Jesus? To get a glimpse of the depths of his forgiveness. Oh, that we might just say thank you. God, for anyone today on campus, watching online, who has never experienced your forgiveness, would you give that to them now? If that's you and you're, you're with us, there's no religion that will save you. There's no religion that will forgive your sins. There is just Jesus. And he says that no one is beyond his grace and nothing that you've done, past, present, or that you will do in the future is beyond his forgiveness. He says, if you will believe in me and trust me, if you will follow me, I will take away your sin. I will make you new. You can follow him today. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you show forgiveness when it's undeserved. Thank you that you're generous, overflowingly, never-endingly generous with forgiveness. Thank you. Jesus, for Christmas. Thank you that you left heaven. You came to earth for a sinner like me, like each one of us, to save us from our sin. Thanks that you love us. Through Christ I pray. Amen.